give God time. And how do you give God time? Well, there are three factors, and, and you, you decide on the time. And one of the factors is uh, prayer, talking to God. I don't, think, I don't know if I've made it clear, and I don't know if sometimes we've been taught some things that aren't quite, uh, that aren't quite right. A prayer is a conversation. Prayer is a dialogue. If it is a monologue, it's not prayer. If you're the only one talking, if you're the only one jabbering, if you're the only one, it, it's not a conversation, it's not a dialogue. They've got to be two people talking. And you say, Sister Amy, well, somebody answered that for me. And they said, well, we talk to God and then we read the Bible and he talks to us. I do not doubt and I know that the Bible does talk to us, and I know it is the Word of God. But in the, in the experience of prayer, there is an interchanging of conversation. You talk to God, and God talks to you. You say, Sister Amy, I've never experienced that. Yes, you have. The only thing that scared you so much, you thought it was you. You didn't think it was God, but it was God. You say, how can you tell me? Because that's the way it is. It's happened to me. God has often spoken to me. And yet I think it's myself speaking to myself. It's not that. God is talking to us. And if we're still enough, he will bring so many things to bear, bring so many things to mind. He will uh, open up worlds to us. And so we must ask the Lord to help us. And that's the stewardship of time. Time in terms of uh, your prayer life, time in terms of your quiet times. I like quiet times because there are times I don't want to pray. There are times I don't feel up to prayer. There are times I feel I don't even have strength to pray. There are times that I'm filled with discord in sense of uh, nothing's going right. There are times I have a sense of... Uh, of wrongdoing, you call that guilt, isn't it? When you know you haven't done what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, you were very busy with. And because you were busy with what you wasn't supposed to be busy with, you never made time for what you were supposed to make time for. So it becomes a very complicated affair. And you sit there like a total failure and you say, I can't pray. That's a very good time for quiet time. It's a time that you don't pray. And quiet time isn't always negative in that sense. You just sit there. Sister Amy, you don't know how hard it is. Yes, I do. I've sat still before God, and I could have given my right arm, my right eye, that I'd been sitting there for a half hour. And when I looked at the clock, it was maybe three minutes. Three minutes. Then you realize how difficult it is. But quiet time simply means you just sit before God and you tell him you love him. That's what I tell him. And you say, suppose God doesn't want to hear it. Well, you're going to hear it anyway. Because that's just the way I feel. I have no one to lean on and no one to rest upon but my Lord, so I tell him. Then there's the last aspect of, of time, and that's to the word, study. And I would advise you not only to study, we give you your, your precious... Uh, daily breads. As a matter of fact, the ushers will be sure to bring them down. 
so that no one leaves the church without taking one. If you want one for a friend, we will. We've grown in such a way that we can't give them out in fives and tens like we used to. So you can have one or you can have two, and they'll be down when this service is over. Read that and read the scripture. And then try to get into a good Christian book every now and then. There are some books that are absolutely fabulous. I'm reading a book that's hit me so hard, and it's got me a little, a little, did you ever get angry at a book? And I'm going to share it with you. It's just called The Discipline of Christianity. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful because there are so many things that I thought were discipline, and this book says it's not, not at all. And, and I've been so staunch on it for 40 years, and now they're telling me that ain't the way. And the biblical proof, because there's so many things you pick up because people tell you, not because you've tried them, not because you've biblically researched them. Once you start to research something biblically, you find out, hey, listen, we've been living on a lot of granny tales. Can't be. So uh, I'll, I'll let you know the book. I'm trying to get in touch with the, with the publishing house so we can have a, at least a case here so you can study it with me and you can get as angry as I get. It, it's good. It, every now and then it's good to have a book that stirs you and really annoys you but comes back to give you a blessing, a very special blessing. Okay, then we went on to the stewardship of time. Then we went on to the stewardship of talents. We talked about everything that we can do, everything that God's given us, the graces that we have, that we can share, that we can give to others. Uh, and, and that is a stewardship. Uh, whatever you have of good, whatever you have of blessing, whatever uh, talents God's given you, you should share it. Share it in such a way that the kingdom can enjoy it, that your family can enjoy it that everyone around you can enjoy it, that God makes us good stewards of the good things we have, of the talents that we have. And then last but not least, we went into the, the stewardship of our finances. And we found out biblically, clearly, inequivocably, that uh, tithing is of God. It's both Old Testament and New Testament. It's blessed in both times. And that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And that whoever doesn't pay their tithes literally robs God. You say, come on, lady, how do you, you don't rob God. Uh, didn't you say it's, it's, a, it's the way the Spirit moves you? It's a, no, there are truths that are, I've often sp spoken about truths across the line. And there are truths that are across the line. And giving is one of those truths across the line. We don't like it because, uh, hey, it's ours. And we're not just ready to share it or give it away. But let me tell you something. When you give it to God, it's not giving it away. It's giving it to one who will give us in recompense what you could never, never imagine. And we thank the Lord for that. I thank the Lord for the experience of tithing. I thank the Lord for being able to teach it. I thank the Lord for those that do tithe. And I've watched their lives turn around. And I've seen God bless them. Not because they tithe, but because, yes, because they tithe. But even if the motivation is cockeyed, even if the motivation is wrong, even if the motivation... You say, well, you can't give to get. No, you give in obedience. And then God has got to fulfill his word. That's all there is to it. God has to fulfill his word. And because he is, he is, he is a true God, he does not lie. That's the way it goes. Now today I just want to wrap this whole thing up, and I hope I can, in a way that will bless your souls. And the whole idea is simply... Uh, speaking about faithfulness, and uh, that sums it up. We are called to be faithful. Would you go with me to Galatians 2 
and it speaks about Abraham. I was going to take him from the Old Testament, but I said, no, let me take him from the New Testament, and then we will see Galatians 3, 2. And it's so interesting because we're talking about faithfulness. I just want you to keep that word, to be faithful, faithful to the Lord. Can I tell you something before we start, and I'll tell it to you when we're, when we're through? God only blesses. In other words, the prizes of heaven are only for faithfulness. That's all. Nobody's going to get a prize for anything else. You're not going to get a prize for being the best singer. You're not going to get a prize for being the best uh, orchestra leader, being the best sound man, uh, being the best... Uh, you're not going to get prizes for that. You're going to get prizes, and the scripture says so, rewards for being faithful. Now, there's where, there's where the whole stewardship of time comes in. And what is that? It's in the stewardship of time that you learn what is it that God wants you to do. And then you get about the business of doing what God has, wants you to do. And then when you do it faithfully, there is a reward. And I love that. I, I like rewards. Who doesn't like a reward? Really? You don't like a package under the Christmas tree? You don't? I don't want to live with you. <laughs> we love rewards. And in the third chapter and the second verse, listen to what it said. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I'm reading right. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Did you, did you, did, did you, uh, now you, you've got to realize, <laughs> uh, as we look at this scripture, you've got to realize that this is a contention in which Paul is dealing with the Galatian people. And the contention in which they're dealing is, uh, are we dealing with faith or are we dealing with uh, the legality of the law? The legality of the law. And what, what, what the, the apostle is trying to prove is that throughout the ages, God has dealt on just one thing, believing him and being faithful. So let's go on reading. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, you're now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Okay. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law or because you believe what you heard? Now, here's the example of Abraham. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Hallelujah. Now, what is he saying here? What are we talking about? We're talking about, because the whole idea this morning is talking about faithfulness. And, and faithfulness has to do with our spirit and our belief in what God has told us. And the scripture now tells us that even when he dealt with the first man who he's dealing with on a faith, on a faith basis, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now where does, faith, where does faithfulness begin? The knowledge the knowledge of, of belief, in other words, the knowledge, 
that God has promised you and that his promise is true. He believed God. That's all. And it was credited. In other words, that's the moment that Abraham was saved. How do you like that? A faithful person starts off by believing God. It's not faithful to the church. It's not faithful to the assignment the pastor gave you. It's not faithful to all the doodads and diddlebits that get done around here. That's not it. It's faithful first to the message. That's where faithfulness starts. Faithfulness starts in believing God. That's where Abraham started. And it was counted to him righteousness. He was saved. He was saved. That's where he was saved. The same thing with us. Where does our faithfulness begin? Where do you start being faithful to God? Well, by believing in him. By believing in him. You believe in God? Hey, that's your beginning. That's your first step of being faithful. Uh, come with me to Hebrews for a minute. You that have your Bible will just kind of uh, flip through it. And if you don't, just listen. In the book of Hebrews and in the fifth verse, it says, now we're talking about Moses. I'm sorry, chapter 3 of Hebrews. Chapter 3 of Hebrews. Okay, now to get exactly what I mean out of this verse, uh, uh, come with me. Uh, well, it's not, it, let's start with the very first verse because it, it, it gives us the whole situation. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hebrews 3, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. Once again, the beginning of faithfulness is in Christ Jesus. You have Christ, you've accepted him, he's your savior. That's where you begin to be faithful. That's where you begin to be faithful. He was faithful, he was faithful to the one who appointed him. He was what? Faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Now Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. All right? In other words, Sister Amy, I want to be faithful to the Lord. Oh, tell me, tell me. Well, just believe in him and start building on that faith. Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. Moses was a faithful servant was faithful as a servant, I'm sorry, Moses was as faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope, and the hope of which we boast. Hallelujah. In other words, folks, faithfulness starts by believing God. Faithfulness starts by hanging on to the Lord. Faithfulness starts by knowing who's in charge of us. Who's in charge? Who's in charge of your life? Is it yourself, your whims, your feelings? Uh, Who's in charge of your life? The Daily News? It's going down the tubes. Watch out. Really, who's in charge of your house? New York Times, Wall Street Journal? Who is in charge of your house? Well, in order to be faithful to God, you've got to hang on to him and to know that he is your everything. There is where our faithfulness starts. Would you go with me to Second Samuel? That's, that's uh, way back here in the, you know, the Old Testament. It's right after the first. Second Samuel, in the 22nd verse. When I read it, I got a little confused, and now I'll confuse you, because it's very interesting. 
chapter 22, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 22, 2 Samuel 22. It's a song of praise. It's the song of David. 2 Samuel 22. The key verse is the 21st, but I'm going to start. Well, I'll start with the 21st verse. It's the song of David. And listen to what he says. The Lord. No, I want to start. I want to start with the 20th verse because it sort of gives us a, a glorious beginning. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. There's David talking about the Lord. Now, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. Now, what does that mean? That he was always right? You and I know he wasn't. Righteousness is that capacity to believe. And it was counted unto Abraham as righteousness. That's faith. That's the element of faith. I believed in God. I was righteous. Now, it's important that you know that. According to my cleanness, to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not done evil by turning from God. Hallelujah. In other words, he is talking about, you have to realize that the Old Testament does not have a taste of grace. It has a taste of works. And the only taste of grace you will get in the Old Testament is the taste you get from Abraham. He believed God and it was counted as righteousness. When you come traveling up the Old Testament, then you have people that are learned in the Old Testament and learned in the law. Abraham was before the law. Moses is before the law. Naturally, it's instituted through him, but still, it's before. That's why when you see and you read David now, David is total law total law. So that's why David, when he, when he gets up to tell how faithful God is, he says, well, God was faithful because I was where I should be, and I was as clean as I should be, and I was as straight as I should be. Now, after this, he falls on his face so flat it isn't even funny. But to this point, he was. And once again, that's the revelation of about six weeks ago for me. This is the way the Bible is written, not this way. It's written this way. And we thank the Lord for that. And he goes on, he said, the, verse, the key verse, the Lord has dwelt with the 21st verse, there's the key verse. He has dwelt with me according to my righteousness, my belief in him, according to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. But the most important thing is the fact that according to the clean, cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have kept the ways of the Lord. That is faithfulness. I've kept it. I've done it. I've kept it. I've done it. Okay, and we thank the Lord for that. I want you to go to one of my favorite books, and I think it's one of your favorite books, the book of Job. Would you go with me to Job? In the very first chapter, we're going to talk about something that God considers. It's a godly considering, and I, and I love it. And I love it because no matter what we go through, God still has his own concept of you and me. And no matter how we fail him, God still has his own concept. In the first chapter and in the 21st verse, read with me what it says here. In the 21st verse it said, uh, 
I'll take the 20th so we get the, the complete picture. At this, Job got up. I'm sorry, Job 120. Job 1. That's right before Psalms, is it? Yeah. Okay. Right before Psalms. And Psalms is so easy because it's kind of in the middle there. Kind of splits this up for us. And in the 20th verse, it says, At this, Job got up. Okay. This is after the house fell down on his children and they all died. At this, Job got up and he tore his robe, which is a, an expression of extreme anguish and extreme uh, pain. He shaved his head and he fell on the ground in worship and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. What a sense of faithfulness. He was already as poor as a church mouse. He just finished losing his whole family. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. When I think of the way people curse God, when I hear all the expressions of damnation with God before it, when I hear of people just almost trying to rip God out of his throne in heaven, then I go to this verse. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Why? Because he was faithful. What makes you faithful? When you know who he is. That's what makes you faithful. And believe it or not, that's the way you judge people. When you've got their background, and you know they're true, and you know they're true blue, you'll go out on a limb for a person like that. You'll say, no, no, I know that person. I know that person. But when this special and particular case, it's so beautiful. He was faithful. Because sometimes we think faithful is, oh, I do this for the Lord, and I do that for the Lord, and I do this for the Lord, and I do this. You know what I mean. We, we have like, like, a, like, you know, some people have pity parties. Some people have joy parties. Woo, woo, woo. No, well, listen. There is no great joy involved in being faithful. It's very tedious. It's very exact, and it's very precise. And sometimes it's painstaking. Because there are people out there that deserve your worst. But because you look at people through God's eyes, and because you feel them through God's spirit, you cannot come back against them. So, we must remember that God's called us to be faithful. I want to be faithful. Let's go into Jesus' explanation of faithfulness, because I think it's so important. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. Matthew 25, 21, and uh, I, I have them right up here, but sometimes if you want to rumble through your pages with me, they'll stick more and you can go back and, and look at it. In Matthew 25, 21, you've got a situation there that's interesting, and it says the man with the two talents also came. This is the middle of the parable. And he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. But listen, he wasn't as good as the guy with five. 
Because the, the man with five multiplied and he, he brought back five more. Now this is a gentleman with two. Doesn't that say something to you about God? He doesn't want what you don't have and what you can't do. He, has, he wants what you have and what you can do. That's why when we start to compare and we try to be as tall as the six-foot fella and you're only 5'8", not even stretching you, you're going to make it. Not even on stilts because it's not you. Oh, I love God. Oh, I love God. I love God because of the sense of, uh, of equality. Uh, I love God for the sense of evenness. I love God because I don't have to be who I'm not. Oh, lady. I know somebody that speaks rivers over you. Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And let me tell you, if I know where they're at, I'd love to hear them. Because I know it'll fill my soul and bless me. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't. We, we are in such a competitive state. We have always, you know, well, the Apostle Paul says the prize is just for one. But that's the world. And his comparison is precisely that. Don't go in that spirit. Go in the spirit that whoever is faithful in this, in this, in this realm, we all win. Imagine when they, when they look for the, the prize winners in Christianity. We're all going to move up. We're all first. That's going to be great. No laggers. No stragglers. Let's go on with this. And the master replied, uh, 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with few things. There it is. You've been faithful with few things. I like that. All God wants you to do is to start with what you have. You don't have to start with what you don't have. Some people, I remember when they told me about the Lord... I, I remember making a promise and a prayer. I wasn't saved. I was about 12, 13 years old. I said, Lord, when I get my act cleaned up, and I had a lot of problems, because when you constantly take teacher's pencils, and when you steal cookies from the cookie box, and when you hide quarters on your mother, and when you don't bring change from the grocery, I mean, those are big dimensional things at the age of 11 and 12. You understand what I mean? And anybody that went to my house, I emptied their pockets. So, I mean, I was one of those little kids. I said, no, no, yo, yo, yo te llevo el abrigo. They never left with the nickel or the penny. Poverty breeds certain arts that are really outstanding. Then the cutest thing about it is I'd be so busy in the candy store spending everything I got. And I'd say, when, you know, my mother would say, algo pasó. No, 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 my, look, I don't know. All right, let's go on. I share this. Only to tell you folks that you don't have to be faithful with what you don't have. I love people that tell me, Sister Amy, I played the lottery. And if I make it, we're going to build a church. They don't pay tithes. But they're going to build a church with the lottery. Do you know what that means? If you don't do it in the little, you're not going to do it in the big. You won't even know my name. I'll track after you. But you won't even know my name. Uh, <laughs> Sister Carmela. She is so precious. 
I was ta- I was going to lunch. I was going to lunch with her one day, and uh, she says, "Pastor Amy, I'll meet you in the restaurant." I went. When she came in, she says, "I bought two lottery tickets, and I knew you didn't want me to buy them, but I bought them. I bought them for the church." <laughs> I love this lady, Sister Carmela. You can do anything you want. At 86, 80, 84, right? Amen. Oh, this is for the Lord. Amen. <laughs> there is a better way. There is a better way, folks. And I mean that. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Oh, I love, I love, I love the Lord. You start with a little. You start with a little. But you move on. Let, let's look to Luke 16.10 first. 16.10. And it's, it just has to do with faithfulness. Nothing else. Just faithfulness. And 16.10 says to us something very interesting. It says, whoever, that's any of us here, 16.10, Luke 16.10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you? with true riches. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Once again, we end up with the greatest truth written. No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus, okay? It says, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Okay, now the word is heavy, detestable. God despises, okay, ill-gotten gains. Keep that in mind, folks. We had a little conversation the other day up in New Beginnings because we had something horrible happen. Somebody brought in a package that they had brought off the street. And when they opened the package, it was about uh, six pounds of New York Times. But it was all fixed up as a camcord camera. It had the weight. It had the look. It had the advertisement. It had the packaging. And so they opened it in the back. I didn't even know what was going on. And there it was, more New York Times and more New York Times. You know, Sunday Times weighs 10 tons. And the young man said, and it's new, new person. I'm not condemning anybody. But then when we got upstairs, we just sat down and we talked. And I'm going to tell you something from the bottom of my heart. If it's hot... And if you're not too sure, you're a Christian, you have no business buying it. No business whatsoever. Ah, Sister Amy, if I don't buy it, somebody else will. Well, let somebody else buy it. Because you are hurting your conscience. No, I'm not. I don't think anything about it. Yes, you do. You're making a kill and you know it. God's not interested in those kills. You know what he'll do? He'll prosper you in such a way for just being faithful to him 
that you will have more than anything anyone can say can sell you on a basis of thievery. Remember that. Keep it in mind. It's important we stay clean. You say, now that, that's, that's, that's childish. That's infantile. We're living in a different world. Yes, we are in a different world. And guess what? We're going to an even more different one than this one. I don't want what's being sold. I don't want what's hot. I really don't. Why? Because I have this funny feeling that if God can't give it to me, I don't even want it. I don't even want it. Because I happen to know that he's the owner of the cattle on the thousand hills. New York City doesn't have room for pastures. But that's okay. Because every gold mine is his and every uranium mine is his. Every silver mine is his. Whatever the riches are in the world, they belong to him. I'm going to worry. No way. I just want to be faithful. That's all. I want to be faithful. That's all. I don't, I don't have any other intentions. I have no other goals. Now, to be faithful, does that mean you're dopey, you die? You have no dreams, you have no aspirations? Oh, no. If you ask me what kind of a home I would like to own, I can describe it to perfection. It's ranch. I don't want any stairs, neither up nor down. Okay? I can describe it. My favorite car, Brother Luis Ortiz, can you tell him my favorite car? It's the one he drives. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not that I stand here and say, I don't want it because God doesn't want it. God wants me to be poor. God wants me to be a peasant. God wants me to look my worst. Oh, no. Oh, no. But you see, what God gives depends upon how we can take it. What God gives depends upon what it does to my spirit, what it does to my head what it does to the mechanisms of my being. If to have something that's extremely luxurious, uh, that will then put my worry and my mind on it, and I'm not free to love God, I'm going to sit and worry about a car parked on the 161st Street corner. What do you say, mister? He's got a little car that's been broken into six times, same window. I told him, don't fix the window, leave the plastic up. No, folks, listen to me carefully. When I see a person that loves the Lord, that walks with God, and has a lot of goodies, I mean a lot of goodies, and I know those people. I know Christians with Mercedes and Cadillacs. I know Christians with mansions. I know Christians with pools. I know Christians with everything you could possibly dream of. And I'm not talking about prosperity Christians. Well, sister... What's your feeling? Don't you want to join in? <laughs> well, let me tell you, when I'm invited to such places, I enjoy it, and I enjoy it as though it were mine. If the pool is a day, I love it. It's mine for a day. But you know what comes to my mind? Their faithfulness as stewards, and that God can trust them with it. It doesn't turn their spirit. It doesn't turn their heart. It doesn't make them green. It doesn't fill them with anything else uh, but a tremendous love for the Lord. So if you can take it, if you're right before God, uh, if it's God's will, hey, God speed his blessing upon your life. In the meantime, Lord, in lo poquito, quiero serte fiel. In the little, I would be faithful so that you could trust me with the great deal. Okay? 
Now let me tell you one of the scriptures and we'll, we're rounding this up. 1 Corinthians 4.2. 1 Corinthians 4.2 talks about a requirement of Christianity. Alleluia. You know, we're not, we're, not, we're not legalistic, but we do have requirements. And the requirements of Christianity as seen and put forth in 1 Corinthians 4.2. Listen to what it says. Now it is required. Woo! What a good word. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. If I care very little, if I am judged by you or by any human court, indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart at the time each will receive his praise from God. Did you ever read a scripture like that? It is required. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. If you have a gift, if you have a talent, and you have time, and you have money, it's gifts given from God. And it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now let's get very positive on the faithful side. Proverbs 28.20. Proverbs 28.20 says the following, and I love it. I don't get tired of reading the Proverbs. 28.20. Listen to what it says, and it says it so clear. A faithful man, a faithful woman, will be richly blessed. But one eager to get riches will not go unpunished. I like the, the opening. That's it. A faithful man will be richly blessed. Psalm 31:23, right behind that, right before that. Psalm 21, uh, I'm sorry, did I say that? Psalm 31. Psalm 31, and this is important to each and every one of us. Psalm 31, and the verse is 23. Love the Lord, all ye saints. The Lord preserves. Oh, I like that. We have a UPS little song that we sing. And it fits here perfectly. It's very biblical. The Lord preserves the faithful. But the proud, he pays back in full. The Lord preserves the faithful. And then the greatest moment of all in Christian faithfulness, Matthew 24, 45. The greatest moment of all in Christian faithfulness. And what is that moment? It's a glorious moment. 24, 45. And listen to what it says, and it says it so clearly. Who then, and I love this, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food, hallelujah, at the proper time? 
It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will be put in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked and says no, and, and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of the servant will come one day, on a day when he does not expect him, and on an hour that he's not aware, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him to the place of the hypocrites, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The glorious moment is the 45th verse. Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants? Okay? It will be a good, it'll be good for that servant. For when the master comes and finds him doing so when he returns and he says to him, I will put you in charge of all my possessions, the highest place. In the other two gospels, it says, make him ruler over all of his master's possessions. We're called to be faithful, folks. Now, in order to be faithful... We've got to get a lot of things out of our mind and out of our hearts. We've got to ask God to take away all jealous streaks because this isn't a matter of jealousy. We have to ask God to take out of our minds a great deal of comparing because comparison sometimes it's just a matter of finding out if we're better than someone else. We must be faithful. Abraham was faithful by believing God. It was counted to him righteousness. And from then on, he fulfilled God's greatest desires. Oh, folks, listen to me. That we might be found faithful. That's the only thing important. That we might be found faithful. There is nothing else. Just found faithful. The faithful steward is the one that's motivated by love. It's grounded by maturity. The maturity of doing God's will. What we do must be done as unto the Lord and in full knowledge that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and obey his word. Folks, we're called to be faithful. Nothing else, nothing less. In the little things and each day the challenge will be greater.